Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a great weekend. Whoa, felt like fall in a lot of places uh, here in July. We are going to talk about weather a little bit later with Mike Pomerino, meteorologist for DTN. See how much longer this uh, cooler weather may last. Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute, will join us. We're going to talk about some of the trade issues going on, and we're also going to talk today with National Cattlemen's Beef Association Executive Director for Federal Lands. Proposals to change the Endangered Species Act. All that coming up on our program today as we kick off another week. We'll also be focused this week on the Farm Bill on the Senate side. Joining us now to talk about that and more, the editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyatt. Sarah, thanks for joining us. And now we we watched uh, the Senate make their next step on the Farm Bill, right? Yes, good morning, Mike, and it's going to be another week where we're inching towards a Farm Bill Conference Committee. The Senate plans to name its Farm Bill negotiators this week after the House named 47 conferees last week. We expect to have only seven on the Senate side, four Republicans, and three Democrats. So we know at least two of those. Uh, One is expected to be Mitch McConnell, along with, of course, the chairman, Pat Roberts from Kansas. What did you make of uh, the of the conferees on the House side? Anything stand out there to you? No, as always, there are members of the House Ag Committee and then some uh, different associated committees like Maxine Waters from Financial Services, and so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interested, interesting messaging votes uh, that are uh, taken or messaging discussions uh, with the different players that come in who may not be as familiar with the farm bill negotiations, but certainly have an understanding of the importance of some of the key programs like SNAP. So um, it'll, it'll be an, uh, an interesting discussion when all of them get into the room. But as you know, Mike, most of the heavy lifting is done with the staff ahead of time and with uh, the key members, both the chairman and the ranking minority members of each of the House and Senate Ag Committees. It's going to be interesting with the timeline here big recess coming up for the house uh what do you see as far as how much they'll get done right away or is this going to drag on a while it sounds like that there is not as much momentum in order to get anything done before the august recess the house of course will be out the senate is still saying now that they will be in session most of the month of august i still don't know how much of that is just a threat from Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, to try to get them to move ahead more quickly on some of these judicial nominations and things like that. But certainly Mr. Conaway, who chairs the House Ag Committee, has made it clear he's going to be in touch, even though he'll be back in his Texas district. So work will continue, but I think you're going to see a lot more momentum in September when they come back. And there's also that supposedly, you know, uh, real deadline that they'll have when the current bill expires at the end of September. In actuality, it's not that big of a deal. Um, Programs will continue. Crop insurance will continue. But it is an expiration date for the current bill, so that gives them a little bit more reason to get it moving. Uh, And then certainly by the end of December, when we'll see the dairy cliff emerge where 
dairy policy would revert back to the 1930s if they don't get something done. So, so the fall will be the, uh, the time where you really want to keep a closer watch on the negotiations. Meanwhile, we'll also be watching this week ahead, the Senate taking up uh, some spending uh, packages, including ag appropriations. Yes, that's going to be moving ahead. And we're also going to be keenly watching on Thursday when a subcommittee for Commerce, Justice, and Science Appropriations has a hearing with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer. I think that's going to be fascinating to see what he says about what, if any, progress is being made. It sounds like the folks who met over the weekend, including Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, at uh, the uh, a group of Treasury and Cabinet members that were able to talk about trade, that they all agree they shouldn't be having as many tariffs and they shouldn't be having as many trade wars, but they didn't seem to make much progress. And then the other thing that we're watching closely, I don't know if you were able to see our breaking news this morning, is that USDA is going to continue their regulatory rollback on Swamp Buster, which of course is especially important to those farmers in the upper Midwest where there's wetlands that haven't been drained and that the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service is going to change the way that wetlands are certified and perhaps make it uh, uh, streamlining of the swamp buster exemptions that can be granted for those who have a minimal effect on wetlands in a farmer's field. We're talking with Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, of course, uh, many members of Congress speaking out about uh, the administration's trade policies. Is there much the Congress can do or will do on this? I think members of Congress are really getting uh, concerned not only about the lack of progress in trade negotiations, but some of the rhetoric. You may have seen that Senior White House Advisor Peter Navarro last week described some of the things that are happening on agriculture as a rounding error. Uh, in regards to trade with the Chinese, and that certainly didn't set well, including with AFBF President Zippy Duvall. So you've got a lot of folks, and if you're talking to Roger Johnson at NFU, I think he'll tell you the same thing. Everybody wants to get tough on the Chinese, but I think there's a growing concern, not only among farmers and ranchers, but with their elected representatives, that we need to be moving on these discussions, not just sitting back because if we do that, the Chinese will win. They've got a president that will be in office far longer than any of ours, so they can wait us out. You know, when you hear comments like that from Peter Navarro, I think what happens is I think agriculture feels Sonny Perdue's in the room speaking out for agriculture, but maybe his voice is getting drowned out by a lot of other people in in that room at the White House and beginning to wonder just how – much agriculture is being taken into consideration in all this. Well, certainly I don't think it's at the top of Peter Navarro's list, but Secretary Perdue is is a forceful voice. And you can tell from President Trump's tweets and his comments that he does listen to farm state senators and that he wants to be respectful of what's happening out in farm country. But, of course, we don't know how that's going to translate to help anybody's bottom line. And it's not just people in the Midwest with row crops. It's almond producers. It's the folks that we talked to this weekend with Western growers uh, representing a lot of fruits and nuts. Uh, So it's not just one commodity. It's livestock. It's so widespread, and no one seems to see the end of this situation right now ending in a very good way. So 
uh, we have a lot of work to do to be able to get out of this trade mess. Yeah, a lot of concern, a lot of uh, anxiety building out there for sure. Well, Sarah, thanks a lot. Safe travels to you. Talk again next week. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. All right, we'll talk more about trade a little bit later on. We'll also be talking about the Endangered Species Act. But coming up next, weather. Cooler in many parts of the country, especially for this time of year. But what about those areas still needing rain? Any rain in the forecast this week ahead? And how much longer could this cooler weather last? We'll talk about all that with DTN meteorologist Mike Palmerino. He'll join us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. 
Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And let's talk weather. Joining us this week, DTN meteorologist Mike Palmerino. And Mike, had to check the calendar. It kind of had a, a fall feel. I wasn't sure it was still July there for a while. Yeah, things have certainly changed, Mike. That uh, ridge of high pressure that brought so much hot weather into the Midwest uh, during the middle part of July has backed off into the four corners in the southwest. And the jet stream is plunging southward. And we are going to have an incredibly pleasant week of temperatures coming up in the Midwest this week. I was going to ask, how much longer does this last? But it sounds like through the end of July. Absolutely. It, it looks like it's going to continue through the end of July. I wouldn't be shocked if it continues a bit into August. Uh, you know, I don't think we've seen the last of some summertime heat. I, I will probably see one more surge at some point during August. But clearly right now, you know, we're going to finish off the month in, in just spectacular uh, shape. I was going to ask you about August. Uh, kind of the, the feeling was, well, it'll probably heat back up in August. Uh, how much do you think? Well, again, you know, I think it could be some variation of July where you're, you're probably going to see a surge of heat coming back out of the southwest, uh, you know, maybe towards the middle of the month. And, you know, clearly when it does get hot, you know, you're talking temperatures uh, at least into the low to mid-90s in some areas. And, you know, if it, if it behaves according to form, the areas that can get significantly hotter than that that we've already seen this season are areas like Kansas and Missouri uh, and, of course, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, where they've been burning up recently. But clearly, I, I think you're going to see another run in, in areas like Missouri of temperatures, uh, you know, between 95 and 100 uh, at some point uh, during the uh, first part of August. What about rain? Because uh, some of those areas you just mentioned, like Missouri, really needing rain. They do, and they're actually going to get some this week because of the fact that the jet stream is plunging southward and the ridge is backing off to the west. We're actually going to put that boundary zone uh, between the hotter air and the cooler air down across the, the southern plains and the uh, southern Midwest. So they are going to get into um, some active showers and thunderstorms. Unfortunately, some of them are probably going to be uh, on the severe side, you know, in terms of lives and property, but they will benefit uh, crops. And uh, we're expecting to see them between about Wednesday and Saturday of this week. And, you know, I could see much of that area picking up uh, potentially a half inch to one and a half inches locally heavier. Then how widespread is that? Will that keep on moving across the country? It will be moving across the southern tier. I, I expect to see it moving in through the Ohio Valley and then ultimately probably uh, – uh, beyond the um, seven-day period, it could, by the early part of uh, next week, it could potentially get down into uh, parts of the Delta. I don't see it moving straight up uh, through the heart of the Midwest. I think things are going to be uh, a little bit quieter there for a while, and, and I think that that's going to be welcome. Uh, you know, we noticed crop conditions a week ago were actually deteriorating in, 
in a state uh, of Minnesota, and I think it was because it was, it's been too wet. So the idea of them having a week or 10 days of drier than normal conditions with near to below normal temperatures, you couldn't ask for anything more. Mike, we've made the comment uh, several times. It's uh, it's amazing how in a relatively small area of the country you can see such extremes in weather conditions. Absolutely. You know, things are so bad in the uh, in West Texas, you know, and uh, in, in the cotton areas of West Texas where with all this extreme heat, they can't even support irrigated cotton in those areas because the heat is so extreme. So you know, it's not that far off, but it just—it's uh, just far enough off that it doesn't produce, you know, anything that's really all that consequential in terms of any real problems uh, through the heart of the Midwest. All it does is just act as the boundary zone for these thunderstorms. You know, most of which are, are welcome agriculturally, but some of which, as we've seen during the past week, can be just deadly and destructive. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, what about uh, some weather features around the world? Uh, what are some areas? I know there are some areas that have been uh, hit with some uh, tough weather, too, hurting their production. There's been, I'd say the number one area has been Russia. Not so much Ukraine, but uh, uh, South Russia, areas around the Black Sea, uh, North Caucasus area. That area has definitely been hurt by uh, hot, dry weather over the past few months. It, it uh, had a significant impact on their winter wheat crop, and it's also had a significant impact on their corn crop. So I would say front and center, that's probably the main area right now. There's also been some dryness in uh, uh, northeastern uh, Europe. Uh, it's been unusually dry in areas of Scandinavia and northeastern Europe. Uh, that's been a problem. Outside of that, you know, there's really China's been doing well in their major corn and bean areas. The Indian monsoon has come on very strongly in their major uh, oilseed areas here over the last few weeks. So uh, no concerns over there. All right. Let's take the uh, Pacific Ocean's temperature. What are we seeing there and as far as the, the weather pattern developing? Well, it continues to come up. Uh, the numbers that we calculate here in-house are showing the temperatures have come up now during the first half of July to uh, seven-tenths of a degree Celsius above normal, and that's up from a half a degree above normal uh, a month ago, and uh, it's up from about two months ago near normal. So clearly we are seeing the uh, development of an El Nino here, which, you know, again, is a situation that with the evolution of sea surface temperatures on the warming side, that is usually not a problem in the Midwest in terms of weather for, for the grains. It's when the sea surface temperatures are decreasing rapidly that you can have drought conditions, but increasing temperatures generally are not uh, of great concern. And, you know, I think right now the way trends are going here, we will probably be in a weak El Nino uh, by early fall. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, then? No, it isn't. And it, it also, in terms of El Nino, generally tend to diminish uh, tropical activity in the Atlantic. Uh, so that would also not be uh, a bad situation if the El Nino can sort of... Uh, 
um, you know, put a lid on uh, a lot of tropical activity this year because clearly that, you know, would be very concerning if anything came, you know, to strike the U.S. either in the Gulf or the uh, East Coast. Mike, as you look historically at the way this year is playing out weather-wise, does it remind you of a, another year recently that's uh, kind of been this way as we kind of look ahead towards fall? Well, it kind of reminds me of basically the last six years, Mike. Uh, you know, we have had some variation of this pattern now since 2013. You know, it's, it, it's just, uh, it just keeps on evolving through the same situation where you've got ridging in the summer, but... It never gets to a position where it's really all that threatening in the heart of the Midwest. You have what we call blocking in the high latitudes, which allows the jet stream to push southward when the ridge isn't in place over the heart of the Midwest. And, you know, it just keeps on evolving through that same kind of a scenario here for now the uh, the sixth summer in a row. So. Yeah, it's, you know, we're certainly in a pattern here. Uh, I'm not saying it won't change at some point, but, uh, you know, I, I think we've just been looking at some variation of the last several years. Can we look at what's happening this year, like a drought in, in Missouri? And is that the continuation of drought conditions moving eastward? And should that be something uh, states to the east of Missouri should be fearful of next year? I mean, is there some kind of pattern developing there? No. No, I don't think so at all. I think that it's really due to the position of the ridging coming out of the southwest. So that, that tends to be sort of a home base for ridging in most summers. It's in the southwest, and it's just been in the perfect position to allow for areas like the southern plains and Texas with that encroachment into Missouri uh, to be impacted, but it is not something that is going to, you know, sort of like hopscotch along and, and creep further north or further east uh, in any given year. Uh, that That's just not how uh, these systems really work. No, I think each one has to be taken individually. We've identified the pattern. We've identified where the issues are clearly. And, uh, you know, at this point, uh, once we've identified everything, we can pretty much determine how things are going to go here, and I think that's you know what we're dealing with now. I, I don't see any areas that are currently not experiencing any problems, having a problem here uh, through the rest of the growing season. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know one thing you can probably rule out here on July the 23rd is. Uh, uh, any concerns about an early freeze? And the reason Good. for that yeah. is not that it might not get cold early, but it's been Mike. warm enough and growing degrees go, has Mike. been so good. Mike Pomerito with DTN. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. 
Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information. 800-717-0734. 800-717-0734. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got a firm tone to begin the trading week with a rally underway once again in wheat, somewhat subdued in the winter wheats, two to three and a fraction higher, seven to eight better in Minneapolis spring wheat. Chicago wheat rose to the best point in over a month on Friday. The December contract rocketing to its highest level since June 15th, piercing key resistance at 516 and a quarter. That'd be the high from July 6th on an intraday basis. September Kansas City vaulting higher on Friday, moving higher again on this Monday. The market approaching major daily chart resistance and a top of the recent range at 514 and a quarter. Weather-wise, more rain would benefit developing corn and soybeans in the northern plains, although with mostly adequate soil moisture, crop stress said to be minimal. Generally favorable conditions for developing soybeans seen in the Midwest. Private exporters reported to USDA cancellations of optional origin sales of soybeans, totaling 165,000 metric tons for delivery to China during the 2018 marketing year. The November soybean contract closing above the 10-day moving average on Friday, but for now we face a tougher test at the 20-day moving average resistance level to start the week at 869 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock in the Merck and live cattle futures, we are beginning the week with some minus signs, flat to 40 cents lower, feeder cattle a dime to 45 cents lower in the nearby contracts. Cash cattle activity today expected to be limited to the distribution of new show lists. Lean hog futures trending 25 to $1.15 higher. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 54, crude oil is up 61. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Uh, joining us now on Adams on Agriculture is Joe Glober, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute and former USDA Chief Economist. Joe, thanks for joining us. It's been a while since we talked. I thought by now maybe some of this uh, the trade picture would be clearing up a bit, but uh, really just the opposite. It's uh, kind of right now looks uh, in some ways worse than it did uh, a few weeks ago, or at least more threatening in many ways. What's your take on what's going on right now? 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I would agree with you, Mike. I think the, the market certainly reacted as we would have expected, at least to all the news on, on uh, soybean tariffs and everything. But this new round of potential tariffs on automobiles and everything, I think, could start to hit a lot more commodities. Um, you know, part of the problem when you're doing retaliations, if you're trying to retaliate for essentially the same amount of, of, of um uh, you know, trade that that uh, the other country is hitting you with additional tariffs. It, it's sometimes difficult to find you know products in the same category, so you start moving to other areas. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing here thus far. Europe and and um, our NAFTA partners have have each hit agriculture, uh, but with with pretty small. Uh, Compared to the breadth of what we export to those countries, they've they've actually hit a small portion of that, and very targeted and very strategic. Now, if you're a pork producer, that doesn't help you much because Mexico is a big market for us, and they and Mexico has hit pork. But it's it's it could get worse, and that's that's my fear. Yeah, and we we've said this often, but uh, it's kind of proving to be true once again. Unfortunately. Once you get into these things, neither side wants to back down, and it's like, uh, okay, it becomes one-upsmanship, we're going to do this, and the other one feels they have to at least match or do more. It just, these things escalate once they start. Yes, that's right, and it's just uh, particularly, the other thing to remember is that we're really operating on a lot of different fronts right now, so it's not just, you know, like a, we're having a dispute with Mexico. We're, it's with, with, with a number of countries, the largest obviously being China. But um, just the manpower and everything else in, in, in terms of trying to resolve these trade disputes get, gets more difficult. Uh, obviously, the EU is coming in this week, and hopefully uh, something can be resolved there before this, uh, this whole issue on, on uh, automotive tariffs gets out of hand. But it, it is... Uh, it is troubling, and, and, I, and I would agree with you that while over the longer run you hope that all this gets resolved as quickly as possible, the fact is it, it will take time. And my, my big concern, I think, that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago was the, you don't want this to get into the fall. I mean, I, I just think that's where uh, we start having problems with soybeans and other things because that's when Brazil starts making planning decisions. and. Um, you know, I, I think that those that's where some of the longer term impacts of these these uh, tariffs start start having an impact. And Joe, I think there's a feeling that somehow what's going to happen, a deal will be reached and all of a sudden it's like a switch is flipped and everything's going to be OK again. Everything bounces right back uh, and it may even be better. But things don't just turn around that quickly do they? i mean sure an announcement of a trade agreement would probably have a positive impact on the markets but overall you just don't turn it around that quickly well I, yeah that's right i mean I, I would say with china you know we're this is typically the time of year where we are out of the market anyway so in one sense it is it is possible to to if we were to get some re- resolution with china um over the next few weeks that we would be, um, you know, that, that we could get things back on track. We do already have uh, cancellations, I think is the, um, uh, I, I heard on the, on your news uh, feed just before coming on that, 
that uh, a few more were announced. Um, but you know, hopefully that could be minimized. Uh, but but you're right; it's, there, it's not an easy switch because people are, have already made decisions. We've already lost some trade, um, uh, and and importers have al- have already looked elsewhere to, to to make up for that trade. So, to the degree that we're we're seeing uh, the impacts right now, I saw the article over the weekend, and I'm sure many of your listeners did too about increased cold. Uh, uh, stocks of, of pork and other things, um, uh, you know, lo- those are concerns, and those are going to hang over the market, and um, you know, are going to take a while to get result, uh, you know, uh, uh, react and 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 get um, things back to equilibrium, um, even if we were to get an agreement overnight. Yeah, just because you stop selling meat that doesn't mean you stop producing it so it's it is uh, stacking up on us here uh joe globbers with a senior research fellow for the international food policy research institute joe what do you make of it sounds like the administration feels they may be moving closer to striking a deal just with mexico rather than with mexico and canada with in nafta just going ahead with one with mexico well uh yeah that that's i mean it would be great news to have have a, 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 a you know a, a deal. Um, I, I'm surprised in one sense, um, uh, just in the sense that throughout a lot of this, Mexico and Canada have been very clear that they want a, a deal on NAFTA, not a, a deal individually. But um, whether or not Mexico strikes a deal uh, soon, I, again, I think it's important to get that uh, get that done with the. The big issues, I think, for, for NAFTA have been all along whether or not there's a sunset provision, uh, which both Canada and, and Mexico have rejected in the past, and then the other issue that, that the U.S. has been very insistent on but have been opposed by the two others have been the so-called Chapter 19, which is our dispute resolution process. And, you know, for agriculture, Chapter 19 has worked really well, and we've had problems uh, with uh, both Canada and Mexico in terms of in the past of how they've implemented provisions of NAFTA and we've taken the, uh, those countries to the dispute resolution under Chapter 19 and won a, a lion's share of those. So uh, I think there's a, there is concern among the ag community that w- we would lose that ability. That seems to be something that the administration has pushed very hard on and has been opposed by uh, Canada and Mexico, and so we'll see how that that works out. But that those seem to be the big things. I mean, we we do have market access uh, opportunities in in Canada, particularly on dairy, that we'd like to see. Uh, but again, I see those as kind of classic negotiations where you're uh, you know trying to get additional access, and and the country you, you're trying to get it from also is looking for for access to your markets and various things. And we certainly have some protection uh, as far as NAFTA is concerned on sugar and, and uh, some dairy as well, um, uh, vis-a-vis Canada at least. So uh, hopefully we get both of those resolved and, and, and back operating because, again, those are our two of our three largest markets. And, um, uh, you know, Canada is almost as large as China. Um, in terms of export markets, so very, very important markets for us. Joe, how is the U.S. viewed internationally? Um, I mean, the president's taken the protect America, do what's best for America approach, and 
And while certainly a lot of people here do appreciate that, it does impact how we deal with other countries. Are we looked at as going more towards a protectionist uh, in a protectionist direction, or or how are we viewed, or does it really matter because we're such a big supplier and there's such a need out there, they're going to have to buy a certain amount from us anyway? What is the world view right now, you think? Well, I think, you know, the, certainly there's a lot of concern just because of the, the what, what, what many view as, as protectionist measures. I, I would say uh, all the same, um, you know, when, when the U.S. says, hey, we have problems with China because of um, – uh, what we feel are, are violations of intellectual property. Those are concerns that other countries have as well, and I, I think that, that ideally we'll work with, with uh, other countries within the WTO to, to address those, those issues. I think the, what, what's probably most concerning to countries in general has been sort of the unilateral aspect of this. That is, we've taken a lot of aggressive stance and and you know impose tariffs without using the WTO so much although I was glad to see that that uh, we we have filed some cases recently in terms of how other countries are structuring their tariffs against us that's you know there's a forum for that I think that's the the right right way to do it um, you know do countries need our, our trade yes I mean to a degree they do we're a very large supplier to the world uh, but there are limits to that, I think, and and you're already seeing, you know, that's a lot of what we've been talking about, our individual country relations, bilateral relations, where countries now are, are saying, well, it's not enough for you to, uh, you can't just impose tariffs on us without expecting us to take actions on, on an equivalent amount of trade. And unfortunately, agriculture uh, falls in the crosshairs a lot because we're, a very successful exporter um, of agricultural products, and uh, and I think strategically, a lot of countries look at states where they think they could make an impact on on uh, uh, getting more support from Congress or other things against these tariffs, and so they target those. So you see Kentucky bourbon getting hit, or or uh, uh, ginseng in 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 Wisconsin. Um, you know, these are things that are aimed at trying to attract the attention of specific senators and, and congressmen. So uh, yeah. we'll see how successful that all is. All right, Joe. Thank you. Hopefully next time we talk, we'll have some more positive yeah, things to talk, talk about. about something nice for a change. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Joe Glopper, Senior Research Fellow of the International Food Policy Research Institute, former USDA chief economist. All right, some proposed changes to the Endangered Species Act. We'll get the thoughts of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What approach are they supporting? We'll talk about it next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 
10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 now and use promo code FARM11 to take advantage of Mike's buy one, get one free deal. This offer expires on August 1st, so don't delay. Order now by calling 800-871-7280 or go to MyPillow.com and use promo code FARM11. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, there is a lot happening on uh, proposed changes for the Endangered Species Act. Uh, We've got some things going on in the Senate, in the House, and even with the administration. And uh, we're going to talk about it with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Executive Director for Federal Lands, Ethan Lane, joins us. Ethan, thanks for joining us. It looks like uh, at NCBA you are... Uh, you're supporting the, the, the Senate proposal on this. Is that right? You know, uh, that, that's correct. We have been working on the Western Governors Association ESA initiative for three years plus now. And the goal here was to try to get something put together that could pass that 60-vote threshold that stymies so much legislation here on Capitol Hill. Uh, we've we've worked on this issue for years, and we've kind of gone down this path of um, putting together a series of bills or or a handful of bills in the House, and and those bills always sound really good. They feel really good to our our members and to us. You know, they address a lot of issues. But the reality is, we have to get through some members of Congress that don't have ESA issues in their district and and don't understand why this law is detrimental to agriculture and and in order to do that we need to make sure we have partners at the table that that have that sort of conservation environmental perspective um and and that requires working across the aisle so so we've put a lot of time and effort into uh getting this barrasso draft to the point that it is now where it's a a a, a working piece of legislation that has some environmental support and that has the potential to draw in some uh some some d's to uh to back it in the senate and what in particular about the Barrasso legislation do you like? You know, what we've heard time and again from our from our members around the country that work on ESA issues is that we've got to level the playing field and make sure states have an even voice. What we see over and over again is, you know, kind of a, a passing uh, inclusion of state uh, participation followed by the federal government sort of saying this is the decision and we're moving forward. And that doesn't fit with the reality of how these species are managed. We have real know-how on the ground at the state level that's where the real boots on the ground wildlife management is happening so we've got to make sure those people are, are at a level seat the playing field the barrasso bill creates recovery teams for any listed species that have an even number of state and federal uh, players at the table that recovery team then actually votes on how to move forward with managing the species and it also gives them some requirements it forces them to have recovery planning done within a year that's different than the model we have right now where something like thirty or thirty five percent of listed species have been waiting ten years for a recovery plan uh... that recovery plan also has to have recovery benchmarks so we have an endpoint you know, we can't just list these species and, and have that be the goal. You know, let's put them on the list and then forget about them, and then ag is left to, to deal with the restrictions forever. We need a system where there's an endpoint. And if we have that endpoint, producers can manage these species back to, uh, to healthy populations if they're given the tools. Where does the administration uh, come down on this? 
you know, the administration is, is working on the regulatory side of this, which is the appropriate place for them to be. Uh, this has always been a discussion about the need for some statutory change and some regulatory change. So what we saw last week out of the administration is kind of their uh, initial offering on that front. It deals with some of the most critical parts of how the ESA is actually implemented. Um, consultation between states and the federal government, between other agencies and the federal government, that's a big part of that process, um, as well as the critical habitat designation process, um, which has been really vexing for producers around the country because we saw a real expansion of that under the Obama administration. They um, went down a road of, of designating habitat where the species doesn't exist, may not have ever existed, um, and in fact crafted language in their 2016 rulemaking um, that said that anywhere that has the biological potential to support the species could in fact be critical habitat. These rules move that needle the other direction. It gets back to a place where we're working on the reality of where species actually exist and can exist. Um, and then finally, this rulemaking does away with what's called the blanket 4D rule. And that is a rule that essentially extends all of the protections and restrictions of an, of a, an endangered listing to a species that's, that's listed as threatened, which is a lesser listing. Um, that kind of puts everybody on defense right from the start. And in reality, the Fish and Wildlife Service needs the ability to designate as threatened and, and even go so far as to say, hey, we're, we're flagging this as a species we're concerned about. We're, we're going to designate it as a threatened species, but we're going to continue to grant the authority to the states to manage it. And whether we're talking about the gray wolf in the, in the Great Lakes region where you have 4,000 wolves, that are still under federal control because of a, a, a technicality in court. Uh, same situation exists in Wyoming. You know, the lesser prairie chicken before it was thrown out down in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas was a, was a threatened listing with a 4D exemption. Um, this kind of dispenses with all that and, and, and sets up a dynamic where this, the, the Fish and Wildlife Service does have some flexibility to go in and, and, and take a more measured approach. So where does the uh, proposal, the Barrasso proposal in the Senate stand, and what, what do you see as a timeline for uh, getting something done on the Endangered Species Act? Well, you know, the, the, the reality is that right now uh, this needs a Democrat to, to come out of the closet, so to speak, and really support this publicly. Um, what we have is a lot of Democrats that are quietly voicing support. We have a lot of Western Democratic governors that have indicated to us and others that they like this bill. Um, we have the environmental community, uh, the working lands portion, referring to this as the gold standard of, of ESA modernization. Um, and, and what they need is to understand that they're not going to get uh, uh, ambushed and attacked by their flank for supporting what they know to be a common sense uh, update to this act. Um, we're building that case now. Um, we're working with some of those uh, moderate conservation and environmental groups um, to, to have them sort of uh, uh, become a little more aggressive in voicing their support for this process that they participated in. You know, it's not helpful when we see the radicals, the uh, defenders of wildlife type groups come out swinging at the first uh, the first mention of this bill, their response to this was was just totally unhinged and and didn't mirror the reality of the bill. Um, you know what we were happy to see is despite that, you had groups like the Nature Conservancy and Audubon and the Environmental Defense Fund that did take a more measured approach, that did send a letter to Barrasso saying, "Hey, we're looking forward to working through this process. We appreciate that it's bipartisan. This is a difficult issue, and and in our world, that's a lot of progress. Um, that's." That's green shoots that, that grown out of the ground here that we want to make sure we foster. 
All right, Ethan, thank you for the update. And we'll be watching uh, how this uh, progresses in both the House and the Senate, and uh, especially watching that uh, Barrasso uh, legislation on the Senate side. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Ethan Lane, National Cattlemen's Beef Association Executive Director for Federal Lands. With that, we wrap it up as we kick off a new week. Hope you join us again tomorrow. We'll be talking with the National Farmers Union. Get their thoughts on farm bill and trade and other issues. Hope you'll join us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.